Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling pretty well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Oh. Let's do it. All right. Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I am very excited to be back. I am feeling happy that maybe uh, the weather has started to become spring-like here in Texas. Uh, you know, we're going to have one more cold spell, Chandler, right around Easter, though. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes we do. Uh, but I've spent plenty of uh, Easter's in shorts, though, so uh, it's uh, you never know. Uh, you never know what's going to happen in Texas. That's true. Just wait a minute, and the weather will change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd like to uh, welcome all of our uh, return listeners. Uh, welcome them back, and uh, for any of you, if this is uh, your first episode of History in Retrograde, we'd like to, of course, welcome you. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit uh, unconventional uh, for uh, us. We're not uh, usually we would uh, go through the process where uh, I would. Uh, withhold the information of what mom is going to be looking at, and then she will uh, uh, look at that chart, tell us what she can about it, and then I reveal to her who or what we've been looking at. But this is a date and a place uh, that is so well known uh, in both of our hearts that um, uh, any attempt uh, of mine to try and withhold that information, uh, well, uh, mom would see right through that. Uh, (laughs) So uh, instead, I'm going to uh, just let everyone know right now, uh, at the time that this is released, uh, it will be uh, March 3rd, uh, and uh, we are going to be taking a look at the event uh, that occurred on March March 2nd in the year 1836. Uh, So uh, this is uh, known as Texas Independence Day. Uh, So uh, we will be uh, looking at uh, this uh, event that occurred at the town of uh, Washington uh, on uh, March 2nd, 1836. Okay, so let's do this. Texas are Texas. All right. Do you want to give this a time? Uh, so I would say in the morning, I would take the best guess as being at around 9 a.m. Uh, okay. as when this document was read uh, for the first time. Um, so that that's what I would guess. Uh, I, Is that when it was finalized? That's when it So it was officially adopted following the first reading within that hour. So somewhere in the morning of March 2nd, somewhere between 9 and 10 a.m. So what do I'm we want to go to like 9.30? Uh, sure, we can go to uh, 9.30. Uh, I have not found the exact time. Uh, the minutes that were recorded, I have not been able to find that. It may exist somewhere, but I was not able to find an exact time. So this is our best guess. And it would just be Washington, Texas. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's start by seeing if there are any interceptions in this. Look at that. 
Interesting. Okay. Oof. That's very stubborn. See how this is Leo and this is Leo? Mm-hmm. So we do not have this fifth house cusp in Virgo, which means we do not have this 11th house cusp in Pisces. So we are missing Virgo and Pisces if we're going by this location and time in Placidus houses. So there is an interception there, which is interesting because Virgo opposes Pisces and here the sun and Uranus are in Pisces and the moon is in Virgo. So with that said, something per my um, understanding of interceptions up to this point with my opinion is that when you have an interception, you need something else to activate the houses that are not there, right? Because we don't have a Pisces house cusp. We have an Aquarius house cusp and an Aries house cusp, but Pisces is inside of its own little cocoon here. And so is Virgo. See? Mm -hmm. So uh, we would need something in Texas <laughs> to activate our Virgo moon and our sun in Pisces and our Uranus in Pisces in these houses. Okay. So now I'm going to go back to the equal houses and look at it from that perspective. So, wow. Okay. Um, if we're going with 9.30 a.m., uh, Washington, Texas, in on March 2nd, 1836. Um, we have a rising sign of Taurus with North Node in Taurus and Chiron in the first house. Chiron being in Gemini, uh, which is communication. So having the rising sign be Taurus that gives us an aspect of Venus, right? Because um, Venus rules Taurus, but it also has all of that headstrong, um, stubborn uh, perseverance that goes along with Taurus. So that could be why Texas has such a reputation for perseverance and stubbornness, you know, mm -hmm. that's very interesting. And then North Node at 22 degrees Taurus means that their direction is themselves. You know what I mean? First and foremost, Texas is what's the most important thing, right? And that's how t everyone will see Texas because that's really weird because that's how Texas is known, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting. Then it's also interesting that it would have Chiron in Gemini, right? In the first house, because even though Texas is known for being really stubborn and really, um, you know, perseverant 
And is that a word, Shayla? Perseverant. <laughs> anyway, I just made it up. Uh, we're also known for being friendly because we're friendly in Texas. That's what we are. Texas being and, the Caddo word for friend. Yeah, that's really kind of cool because um, here we have Chiron in Gemini. Gemini being communication and Chiron being healing, healing through communication, you know. When you're dealing with friendly people, they are communicating with you and they are communicating uh, friendliness to you. So we have that in the first house. So that's very awesome. Also, beauty. Texas is very beautiful um, because it's ruled by Venus in this particular instance, you know. So uh, that's very interesting. Then in the second house, which is ruled by Gemini, we have Jupiter at five degrees Cancer. And that is a very nurturing uh, perspective on valuables and values and home, right? Really home is important, in Texas. And Lord, everybody knows, like, you can take the Texan out of Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because it's home. Mm -hmm. If you're a Texan, Texas is home. And I don't know if I've ever met anyone from Texas that did not feel that Texas was home. You know what I mean? So this is very interesting that Jupiter in Cancer, which rules the home, fourth house, is in the second house of values. Very interesting. Third house is ruled by Cancer. There isn't anything in the third house, but there, again, you have this nurturing communication, right? But also fierce, you know, because Cancer's got the claws, right? Mm -hmm. But... um. There's nothing in that house. Uh, then fourth house is ruled by Leo, which is um, very uh, dramatic, right? Um, there's a lot of drama around Texas. I mean, even just thinking about this, this is very dramatic, I don't know if I can think of you would be the one to think of any other state, Chandler, that has more drama, <laughs> but we have a lot of drama here, you know? So that's very interesting that our fourth house cusp in this scenario would be Leo because that's very dramatic, protective of the home, you know? Mm -hmm. And then having moon in Virgo which is kind of a logical way of dealing with your emotions. People who have moon and Virgo are very good at figuring out why they feel this way because they will take it down and, and, and take it, just continue to look for the reasons why. And uh, it's a very uh, logical place to have your moon. It is not a, overly emotional place to have your moon. It's more about <laughs> the term horse sense is coming to mind, you know, like, like this is not a situation where you're going to get a lot of, you know, weepy, uh, you know, 
just people who who are emotional, overly emotional in that sense. This is more about having control of your emotions. Then fifth house cusp in equal houses is Virgo, and there's nothing in there. Sixth house cusp is Libra, and Saturn at five degrees Scorpio is in that house, since we're using the equal house system. That is very interesting, because having Saturn in Scorpio in the sixth house is kind of like saying, um, we're very protective of the work we do here. And there are lessons with the way. It's almost like protecting Texas is our work. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, um, in this situation with this chart at this time, which is basically, you know, the moment Texas became Texas, uh, it was the work was to protect it. The work is to learn how to protect um, above all else. Like, you really don't want to cross a Scorpio or a person with Scorpio placements because they're going to be fighting for the good or what they feel is the good. You know what I mean? There's a lot of scenarios as to why Texas became independent and how and what was involved with it. But I know because of our ancestry that the reasons that they put as the main reasons, if they were putting that the rich people in Texas who um, had big plantations or whatever were the main reason for the revolution, personally, um, I feel that it should be considered that most of the people who were fighting were not rich people, you know? And they never are, you know what I mean? In, in forever. It's always the people of the communities that go to fight for the country or whatever. So it's very interesting to me, the, you know, stories and, 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 and the takes on this particular moment in history. Um, seventh house cusp is Scorpio. There is nothing in that house. Eighth house cusp is um, Sagittarius. There's nothing in that house. Ninth house cusp is Capricorn. Very interesting because the midhaven for this chart, which is the career, the, you know, outward um, aspect of the chart, the, um, is Capricorn. So there is money involved. There is business involved, the business of Texas. But if you see that this Neptune in Aquarius is in the ninth house, the philosophy is about the people because Aquarius is humanity, the people. 
So Neptune is there. Neptune in the ninth house has to do with philosophy, dogma, religion, education, all of those Jupiter, Sagittarian things. And the philosophy of Texas is almost like the religion is the people, the people of Texas, the um, spirituality is the people of Texas, the spirit of Texas. You hear this phrase all the time, the spirit of Texas. That's very interesting that that's right there. Then we move to the 10th house. And in the 10th house lies Mars in Aquarius, Mercury in Aquarius, Uranus at one degree Pisces, and the sun at 12 degrees Pisces in the 10th house, which is the career. The career with Mars in Aquarius is fighting for the rights of the people. Mercury in Aquarius is speaking for the rights of the people and groups of people. Uranus in Pisces is a new way, a different way than has happened. Granted, Texas independence was based on the United States independence and understanding how that, the theme of that and the concept of that works, right? But American independence was also novel. We were the first to ever do what we did in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one thing for the people to rebel. It's something else to create an entirely new way. And with this Uranus there in Pisces, it has to do with a new way, but it's almost like a new um Like, not a new way of war, but a new way of, uh, (laughs) like, because it's, 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 okay, so let me go back to this also, because the original ruler of Pisces was Jupiter, okay? It wasn't Neptune until later, just like the original ruler of of uh, of Aquarius was Saturn, okay? The original ruler of Scorpio was Mars. All right. So we have some uh, options in how we want to um, evaluate what these represent. Okay. So the structure of the people with Mars uh, in Aquarius, if we look at it from the Saturn aspect, is structure, right? Uh, Re- um, redoing the structure of the people as the career. Then we have the benevolence of Jupiter at with Uranus at one degree because it's in Pisces, which is Jupiter. Okay. Uranus um, is the planet of lightning strikes and innovation and futuristic behavior, right? So this was 
a futuristic type of behavior as part of the career for the country, because Texas at this point was a country, right? Now it's a country. And the sun is in Pisces, which I would say is very spiritual. That Uranus and that sun are both very spiritual. Like there's, again, the spirit of Texas, right? And I believe the lore of Texas and the um, story of how Texas came to be through this revolution is very spiritual. The spirit of the people, you know? Um, The 11th house cusp is Pisces, but the Pisces planets that are in this chart fall in the 10th house because I'm doing equal houses based on this 15 degree um, rising sign in, in Taurus. So the 11th house cusp is Pisces, but we have Pluto in Aries at 13 degrees in the 11th house. <sighs> Pluto in Aries. <laughs> Pluto in Aries is the burning down and the rebirth of war and warlike things. And what's interesting is that it is it is conjunct by degree to Venus in Aries in the 12th house, which is karma. Because it's the 12th house. And um, Pluto is power. So power to the people, you see, because it's 11th house, which is ruled by Aquarius, which is the people. So this is a very powerful people and formidable people. And Venus in Aries in the 12th house is... Uh, in detriment, because currently, right this minute in time, Venus just went to like zero degrees Aries. So, um, you're talking about in 2023, right? Right this minute in 2023, right now, today, what is it? The 21st, as we record yes, this, it's we the are 21st. Recording this on the 21st. Okay, so I think Venus, right this minute, is right between like zero and one degree Aries. I think I'd have to go check the ephemeris, but pretty sure. And what that does is because Venus is a planet of benevolence, of love, of um, beautiful things, and Mars is wearing armor and carrying a sword, it, 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 it isn't naturally a good place for Venus to be. But in this situation... It's more of a love to protect the people and the spirit. Because here, 12th house is ruled by Neptune, which rules Pisces. But when we look at it from the other perspective, I don't want to get too confusing. Because when you understand originally Pisces was ruled by Jupiter... Now you're dealing with Venus in Aries in a house that was originally ruled by Jupiter, which is benevolence. Okay. Now it's ruled by Neptune, which is um, 
mystical, um, you know, uh, uh, psychic abilities, you know, all those kind of things. So when you say that these things were originally ruled by mm -hmm. something else, you're mm -hmm. talking about that's how they used to understand this. Right. But now we have more information. We have discovered new planets. We have discovered yes. new things. So yes. these houses are no longer, that is old information. How does this old information still be relevant? Because you, you keep pointing these things out. Right. The reason I'm pointing them out is because it's important when you study astrology to understand as much as you can. Now, you can study astrology your entire life and never know everything there is to know about astrology because there's so much. But in this perspective, where this is an event from 1836, you know, looking at this from the classic understanding gives it more uh, information. There's more information to be had by looking at it from the classic understanding of this event. Okay. And it, 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 it gives a deeper knowledge of what's at play here. You know, do you have any questions? Um, so this is, you know, a little different than the way that we do things. So I don't have, a whole lot, but just uh, uh, what what is what are some of the emotions of this moment in time? What what are some of the prevailing uh, thoughts and philosophies and winds that go along with this moment? Well, there's a couple of things that are very interesting. I find this Saturn in Scorpio uh, to be very protective of of the work at hand. All right. And protective in a fatherly way because it's Saturn. Right. And I think that there is an awful lot of information here about the people, right. To do what's right for the people and to fight for the people and communicate for the people. And I think that there is a feeling uh, in the dogma of this situation that is religious in not to be, not to be blasphemous of religion, but the way that people feel about religion, their religion, this is the way the feeling that was felt, if that makes sense, that to your soul, you know, and with the sun being in Pisces and Uranus being in Pisces, this is a spiritual situation. It's not like the sun is in Aries where it's like, we will kill everything. We don't care. We'll, it's not like that. This is a spiritual situation. It's like, we're not doing this because we want to. We're doing this because we have to. Because we have to protect the spirit of this entity, which in this case is Texas. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so those are the emotions, but the clear head is the moon in Virgo, but this moon in Virgo is opposing this Uranus by degree, almost exactly. Uranus is at one degree Pisces and the moon is at two degrees Virgo. So there is some difficulty as to the logic of the emotion of it and the emotions involved, but also that this Pisces house, the house cusps of Pisces in this chart, when you calculate them Placidus, they do not exist, right? So there is some situation involved with the emotions of it that are hard to dig down to. Like you need Pisces and Virgo influence to assist this so that you can get to the meat of it. But this is not something that is light. This is not something that is a whim. This is very um, honored and thought out. The work was put into it with tradition and hmm, learning lessons and a fatherly hand is how this, the work is being addressed. Are Pisces and Virgo both water signs? No. Virgo is an earth sign and Pisces is a water sign. Because there's also, there's something blocking, right? That there would be a blocking of um, access to land and water with this interception. Yeah, there is, I mean, you could, you could, you could interpret it that way because you would need something else to get to this and something else to get to that. You would need something else to assist you to get to the water with it considering Neptune over Pi, you know, rules Pisces. And you would need something else to assist you to get to the land, which is ruled by Earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because these, because there is in the, in the Placidus aspect of this chart, there is no Virgo house cusp and there is no, um, Pisces house cusp. We go from um, Aquarius to Aries. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the relationship with the mother and father? Well, the moon is in Virgo. So the mother is logical and um very detail oriented and the father is the son which is ruled by pisces and that is um very 
Mm, I mean, it, it's very, it's mystical and, and spiritual, but also here the father is Saturn, which is in the sixth house in Scorpio, which is very protective, very protective, but also, um, I think very loyal. I think that Scorpio's a lot of a lot of narrative about Scorpios is all about their sexuality, but what people need to understand is that a Scorpio will fight for you if they love you and they believe in you. In other words, if you have not done anything to make them question your loyalty to them, they will have unyielding loyalty to you as well. You know, mm -hmm. they're good. They're a Scorpio is one of the best friends you can have as long as you do not do them wrong, you know? And uh, what would the relationship with the siblings be like? Well, uh, we don't have anything in the third house, but the third house is ruled by cancer which would make it very family oriented you know what i mean like very uh nurturing and protective to the family as a whole um are there any other final first impressions that you get from the chart well i've never looked this chart up but honestly i'm very impressed with this chart i think that this chart represents texas very well I like it. Uh, well, at uh, this time, I will uh, go over the summary of uh, what we found here. So the first thing you said uh, was that uh, this would be headstrong, stubborn, mm -hmm. and perseverance. Mm -hmm. uh, that the purpose of uh, this newly born nation is itself. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, protecting itself and projecting itself are the purpose of this new nation. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it is very friendly and beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, home is very important uh, to uh, this new idea. So it's uh, uh, very protective of the home. And uh, even uh, when people would leave the home, they, they carry the attitude of uh this new nation with them. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be very dramatic and very protective, um, but at the same time, there is this uh, leaning towards stoicism and control of the of the emotions. And that this mm -hmm. conflict between the drama and between this goal to be stoic um, plays out uh, frequently, uh, trying to control the emotions. Mm -hmm. um, it would be protective of the work being done. Uh, that is uh, certainly what's going on in this moment, um, but uh, would carry this through in its life to be protective of the work being done. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on with money and business at this time. Um, there's also a lot with uh, the philosophy of 
uh, this new nation is connected to the people, that this is mm-hmm. being done uh, uh, for uh, uh, large groups of people, for the people. The career is fighting for the people, uh, mm-hmm. about communicating, speaking for the people, and doing all of this in a unique and in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, new nation would have a, a futuristic uh, look uh, towards things uh, and that this uh, is all still connected to the spirit of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a death and rebirth going on uh, and specifically connected to war. There's a burning down and then something mm-hmm. coming up from the flames mm-hmm. um, and people uh, taking power. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a love uh, to protect the people and the love to protect the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this paternal energy of protection of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is uh, a, a, a the purpose is to fight and communicate for the people. Uh, there's a religious and spiritual justification for the actions being taken on this day. Uh, there is a conflict uh, between uh, this uh, uh, trying to lean towards this stoic way of looking at things, uh, but there are still very strong emotions. And so they're mm-hmm. trying to control these emotions at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the actions taken on this day were not done on a whim. Uh, they mm-hmm. are actions done with a great deal of forethought. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother... Uh, of this nation would be uh, logical, uh, would be detail-oriented. Uh, mm-hmm. The attitudes of the father would be more mystical and spiritual, very mm-hmm. protective and very loyal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, this, towards its siblings, it would be very family-oriented uh, and nurturing mm-hmm. to the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is... Uh, a little odd because we're not looking at a specific person. We are trying to determine the character of a nation. At the same mm-hmm. time, we're looking at the character of this very moment in time. And mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of things uh, that bear out here to both of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, last season, we were looking at the birthday of America. And so mm-hmm. we looked at a couple different options and we settled on the conventional option of July 4th as the day that America uh, was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are uh, with the with America, there are several different routes that you can take, at least from a historical standpoint, as to which date makes the most sense for America being born. And you can certainly do that in Texas history as well. You could take the day that the Declaration is written. You could take the day that the war was won on uh, April 21st of mm-hmm. uh, 1836. You could go several different routes. Um, I decided... Uh, that we didn't need to do that same exercise again and that uh, March 2nd would uh, be the day uh, that uh, Texas uh, was born. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have uh, more historical justifications for that uh, than uh, maybe one would think for America uh, for the declaration being signed on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, at this point, there's no big reveal here. This is, uh, as we've said from the beginning, uh, March 2nd, 1836, is the day that the Declaration of Independence uh, was adopted uh, by the General mm-hmm. Convention convening at Washington, uh, Texas. Um, 
I'll give you a, a little bit of background because I know we have uh, not only a national audience but an international audience who might not know all of the details as to mm-hmm. uh, well, why was Texas its own country uh, in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, there's a lot. I'm going to give you the condensed version of this, but um, Texas uh, was a uh, province of New Spain. Uh, so when uh, the Spanish came uh, in the 1500s, they uh, set up a few missions and things in the area, then uh, really started to focus on it in the mid to late 1700s. Um, but it was the upper frontier of New Spain. Uh, there were uh, very fierce um, fights uh, done with the uh, native peoples, especially the Comanches and the Caranquas in the area. Um, but uh, And that, on top of it being so far north uh, from the hub of uh, Mexico City, uh, left it to where it, it was not really actively being settled uh, by a large amount of people. Uh, and then uh, there was a revolution. Uh, the uh, Mexican people uh, wanted to become free of Spanish rule, and uh, they achieved that in 1821 uh, and became uh, the nation of Mexico, uh, which was uh, much larger uh, than it is today and included Texas, included everything uh, from Texas going to California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Now that Mexico had won this revolution, uh, it decided that it it needed some people to be in Texas for a number of reasons. One of them being uh, those uh, Comanche that I was talking about earlier. Uh, The Comanches would uh, leave from their lands in uh, Texas and going up to Kansas, and they would go into the interior of Mexico, and they would harass, and they would raid, and they would kill and take people captive inside the interior of Mexico. Uh, If the Mexican government were able to entice people to live in Texas, then the Comanches wouldn't have to go all the way inside Mexico to harass and (laughs) kill and raid people. They could just kill Mm -hmm. and raid and take land from those people there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, they needed people to literally act as a meat shield uh, to uh, protect the interior of Mexico from the Comanches. Mm-hmm. Also, once you have citizens, you can then tax those citizens. Uh, so Mexico wanted the money uh, that would come from people living in the province of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, even before Mexico had formally declared independence, uh, there was uh, a, a young, well, not so young, but there was a a, a man from United States of America named Moses Austin, uh, who was trying to uh, do business with the Spanish government. Uh, He had gotten all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed to get Americans to come to the Spanish province of Texas when in 1821 it was no longer part of Spain. Uh, He uh, started to work on the contract with the new nation of Mexico and then he passed away. And his son, Stephen F. Austin, came Uh, to Mexico, and he worked out a new deal, and uh, he was able to then get colonists to come from America, uh, from the United States of America, into this province of Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Texas was not its own state uh, inside of Mexico. It was uh, combined uh, with uh, the state of Cojila. It was called Cojila y Tejas. Um, 
but uh, there would be these colonies set up by these impresarios um, in like Austin, also Bastrop and Robinson would also set up uh, these uh, colonies for to entice people from the United States to come over to the hundreds of thousands of acres of land that was just lush and beautiful and waiting for plows to go in it and make lots of cotton and corn and uh, all sorts of things that could benefit uh, not only those people but benefit the nation of Mexico. Uh, and uh, the, all this land, uh, it, it would cost uh, the people coming over uh, 12 and a half cents an acre uh, mm-hmm. to uh, get this land. Uh, and uh, all they would have to do in return is promise to be good Mexican citizens. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Mexico at the time, by 1824, it was a democratic republic set up very much like the way that the United States was set up. It mm-hmm. had a constitution. It had separate states. It had uh, a direct... You could elect uh, the people who would represent you uh, in Mexico City and in your state houses, uh, and many of the same rights that people would have enjoyed in the United States. Um, But there were a few differences. Uh, Mexico had a state-sponsored religion, that being the Holy Roman uh, Church. So uh, in order to be a citizen inside of Mexico, you had to be Catholic. Um, and then uh, you also had to do speak Spanish. All of your business had to be uh, dealt uh, in Spanish. Uh, all official papers, uh, legal and otherwise, uh, would have to be done uh, in uh, Spanish. Uh, which uh, a lot of these people uh, at least uh, uh, looked uh, like they were following these edicts. Uh, They Mm -hmm. uh, converted to Catholicism, uh, at least having a paper saying that they had done so. Um, Stephen F. Austin would sign his name as Esteban uh, for Mm -hmm. uh, most of the rest of his life following uh, this. Um, Another uh, part of the Mexican Constitution um, in Mexico, they had outlawed the practice of slavery. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, so if you were coming into this Mexican province of Texas, you were not supposed to bring people um, that were uh, enslaved. You were supposed to have con- – all people were supposed to be free no matter of their color, uh, mm-hmm. no matter of their national origin. Uh, now, the Mexican government made plenty of uh, – uh, They looked the other way, uh, not just in Texas, but in other provinces in Mexico when it regarded slavery, because slavery allowed for large plantations to produce a lot of goods that could then be taxed and that money go into uh, Mexico City. uh, And Texas was no exception. So uh, they would say uh, that you could have slaves for the first 10 years, but then all those people would need to be freed. And then they also would say that, well, you can have indentured servants. Uh, So uh, as as, uh, these people coming from mostly the U.S. South would come into Texas, they would um, uh, make up these contracts saying that these people were indentured servants for a number of years and then have them sign an X on it. But mm-hmm. uh, make no doubt about it, these people uh, were coming into Mexican Texas and they were uh, bringing uh, enslaved African Americans with them. And not all of them. There were plenty of poor yeoman farmers who were going to farm the land themselves too, but a lot of them were coming to Texas uh, with uh, enslaved African Americans with them, and that was against the law in Mexican Texas. Um, but these things were still rolling uh, uh, along, uh, going through the mid-1820s and to the early 1830s. But as we can all know, uh, those of us who live in democratic republics, those of us who have uh, uh, 
who live in democracies, democracy can be pretty messy. It can be pretty hmm. chaotic. A lot of times you can get people who don't want to compromise, who just stand their ground and do not budge an inch. And when you get enough of those people who are not talking to each other, uh, who are not compromising on things, well, then things don't get done. And mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly what was happening in the Mexican government. Uh, important things involving defense, involving uh, 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 public education, involving money. Um, they Things were not being agreed upon because people were too stubborn and they were not talking to each other. Uh, and so after enough time of this, there are some people who say, well, maybe we don't need to have a democracy. Maybe we need to have a strong man. We need to have one person to take control and actually get things done. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 1832, they had an election across all of Mexico. And uh, there is one man who stood up, and his name was Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. And he said, I love democracy. I think that we should all be able to vote for our leaders. We can get through this. We can compromise. Elect me into office, and I promise the Constitution will stay the same. We will uh, uh, remain a democratic republic. And so people across Mexico agreed, and especially in Texas, applauded uh, this General Santa Ana and voted him into office. Well, once Santa Ana got into office, uh, he decided that he kind of liked the idea of being a strongman dictator. <laughs> and uh, he kind of liked being the only one making up the rules. So he pretty much took that Constitution of 1824 and crumpled it up and threw it in the trash bin. Uh, he uh, disbanded all of the uh, 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 state legislatures, sent them home. You don't need to have your own legislatures. I'll make the rules for you from now on. Mm -hmm. uh, he put the military in charge of uh, different districts and uh, was really splitting up uh, the government, uh, not amongst elected officials, but among those of the military and uh, of the Catholic Church. Uh, he started going in and saying that uh, you don't have freedom of speech anymore because you could be saying things about me. And if you're mm -hmm. saying bad things about me, well, then I'd have to throw you in jail. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he also started taking away people's uh, rights to, to protect themselves, to have guns, to have cannons, uh, to protect themselves from those Comanches who are constantly coming in and uh, raiding and taking things and people. Uh, so... Uh, Enough of this had gone on, and the people of Texas now started to feel like they were given a false bit of goods here, that mm -hmm. they were told they were going to be in a, in a democracy much like the mm -hmm. United States. And they were willing to sacrifice certain things, say that they were Catholic, do their business in Spanish, in order to be in this democratic republic of Mexico. But mm -hmm. that was no longer starting to happen. Now they were living in a military dictatorship. Uh, and so they thought, well... Maybe we can just become our own separate state within Mexico. And if we were our own state, the state of Texas, inside the Republic of Mexico, we could have some autonomy here so that we could still maintain our affairs in a democratic way. Mm -hmm. So they sent Stephen F. Austin down to Mexico City uh, to propose that idea. Uh, had a whole constitution all drawn up uh, to say that uh, Texas could be its own state within Mexico. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, they looked at that constitution and they decided uh, that Stephen F. Austin uh, should be locked in a dungeon uh, yeah. for uh, over a year and a half. That was bad. 
And uh, when they had done that, uh, when the Mexican government had held Stephen F. Austin, uh, they did not give him charges as to what he had done wrong. They did mm-hmm. not uh, uh, give him a trial by jury. They just held him in prison. Well, that got the people who are now living in Texas pretty angry mm-hmm. um, that uh, they had been trying to do everything right within this system, uh, this Democratic Republican system. But now that system no longer existed. And the man who had brought so many of them there was now being held in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was released. He was released in 1835. And by the time he came out and he came back to Texas, he was pretty sure that Texas could not be a part of Mexico anymore. Uh, Texas would either have to become a state within the United States or mm-hmm. it would need to be its own nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, October of 1835, uh, everything kind of came to a head. On October 2nd in the town of Gonzales, they had this teeny weeny little cannon if you ever go and see the thing you'll be surprised that it caused so much ruckus um it was a signal cannon it was just meant to really uh make a big noise it it wasn't really meant uh to hurt a whole lot of people but it was the only thing that the people of gonzalez had to uh protect them from comanche raids Mm -hmm. Uh, so they really liked that cannon And uh, the Mexican army came in and they said that we need to take that cannon back to San Antonio. You shouldn't have a cannon here anymore. Mm -hmm. And on October 2nd, uh, there were about uh, 100 or so uh, of the Texans who got together and they fired that cannon into the Mexican forces. (laughs) And they said, you can come and take it. Mm -hmm. And they flew the white flag with the black cannon that uh, many people are familiar with to this very Mm -hmm. day. And when they did that, they fired the first shots of the Texas Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time in October, uh, the people of Texas were not exactly sure what they were going to do, but they knew that they had a fight on their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, quickly uh, got together and formed a consultation. Because if you were to say the word convention, well, that has sort of tones that mean that you are revolting outright. Mm-hmm. But a consultation, we're just going to consult with each other about what our next step is going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, they formed a provisional government. They elected a governor because they still wanted Texas to become a state within Mexico. So they had a governor named Henry Smith. And pretty soon, all the same problems happened again. People were not talking to each other. Democracy is very messy. People got their feelings hurt. Um, There were people who were trying to go further into Mexico. There were people saying, no, we need to stay right here in Texas. There were envoys that were sent into Mexico to try and stir up the Federalists, the people who believed in this democracy democracy still being a thing in Mexico, to try and stir them up into rebellion um, against the centralists. Uh, That's who Santa Ana was representing. Uh, But it was just a lot of uh, confusion and and bickering. Meanwhile, the army was doing pretty well. Uh, The Texas army and militia, they had taken uh, the town of San Antonio. That was Mm -hmm. the largest, most important uh, town in Texas at the time in December of uh, 1835. Um, And not only did they take uh, San Antonio, the Mexican general who was in charge of San Antonio was Perfecto de Cos, uh, who was Santa Ana's Mm -hmm. brother-in-law. They sent him back to Mexico with his tail between his legs. So now Mm -hmm. this was no longer just some political uh, uh, uprising going on in Texas. It was a matter of family honor for Santa Ana to come to Texas personally and stamp out this rebellion. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, by January of 1836, the uh, politics had completely gotten out of hand. Uh, The uh, governor, Henry Smith, he fired uh, everyone who was in the cabinet. The cabinet (laughs) uh, impeached the governor. Uh, So uh, it was completely chaos uh, within the uh, political uh, arena of Texas. And they decided, okay, the whole consultation thing, that's done. We need to have a new convention. This is going to meet in the town of Washington on March 1st of 1836. So they had um, elections all throughout Texas uh, to get delegates to show up to Washington in March of 1836. Uh, Washington was uh, just uh, a little... shanty town almost uh, when you read uh, descriptions of it they say that there are still tree stumps that are in the middle of the roads that people have to get around because those trees had just been cut down a few weeks or months earlier to build mm-hmm. some of these cabins in this town but it was far enough removed uh, from uh, the uh, Mexican army so that it would feel uh, safe there. Also, none of the other towns like San Antonio uh, or uh, Columbia or any of these other settlements really wanted to have the convention there because if the Mexican army were to somehow show up, they would mm-hmm. burn those towns to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they wanted exorbitant fees uh, for this new con- uh, convention to meet there. Mm-hmm. Uh, town of Washington uh, said, you can pay us later. Just come on up and we'll bring all the business here. Uh, so uh, they selected uh, the only really finished building in the town that could hold 59 men. And that was uh, the general store uh, that belonged to Noah Byers. Noah Byers was the local gunsmith, blacksmith, and Baptist preacher. Um. <laughs> Of those, uh, one of those jobs was completely illegal, and that was <laughs> the Baptist preacher. Um, he uh, had a uh, finished building. Uh, it did not have windows in it, but it had window holes uh, that he put muslin over. Um, and uh, that was large enough to hold uh, these men. They borrowed tables from all the uh, families that were living in the town uh, so that they could uh, have enough uh, places uh, for people to sit uh, and discuss uh, what was uh, going to be the next uh, plan of action uh, for uh, Texas. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we, we've got, uh, the Texas army has captured San Antonio. There is a small, uh, mission there that was a failed mission, uh, that was on the outskirts of town, uh, that, uh, became a storage warehouse, uh, and somewhat fortified by the Spanish and Mexican army that was called the Alamo. Uh, There are uh, about a hundred men there that are under the command of uh, William Travis and Jim Bowie. Uh, They are expecting the Mexican army to come in mid-March at the best. Mm -hmm. They're not going to march all the way through the winter to come up here. Well, that's not exactly the case. Uh, So uh, the Mexican army did arrive in uh, mid-February of Mm -hmm. uh, 1836 with 5,000 troops, Mm -hmm. 5,000 surrounding a garrison of about 100. Uh, The government is in shambles. Uh, Travis has written to Governor uh, Smith, but Smith has no more authority Mm -hmm. uh, to try and get anyone to come and garrison this fort, because if they could make the line here in San Antonio, they could protect all of the Anglo settlements that are in Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
the army's not able to get there, and they really don't think that they should have their fight at the Alamo, which is a poorly defended fortress. Instead, they try and get Travis to get his men to come out, um, mm-hmm. but he does not listen, and he uh, writes one of the greatest uh, letters, I would say, in American history, uh, mm-hmm. trying uh, to get men uh, to come to the Alamo, and he does get about 80 more men to come, but still 180 against 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so that's uh, February twenty fourth of eighteen thirty six. The convention convenes on March first uh, of eighteen thirty six in Washington, Texas. Uh, the first order of business is to get the convention uh, going, and then uh, George Childress, uh, a, a gentleman from Tennessee uh, who has only been in Texas about a month, um, as, uh, gets a, a committee together of five men uh, to draft a Declaration of Independence. That was mm-hmm. all that was done on March 1st. Um the uh, weather uh, going on in Texas at this time uh, is absolutely brutal and freezing, mm-hmm. freezing rain. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not quite snow. It's just wet and, and bitterly cold. Inside this little building uh, in Washington, uh, which is the nicest one that they could meet at, it has no fireplace and no stove. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, people are, uh, they're uh, dignitaries like uh, uh, De Zavala and uh, Francisco Ruiz and uh, Navarro, and they are sleeping in a carpenter's hall. Um, uh, because it has an actual finished floor in it. Uh, mm-hmm. So this, this, these are the circumstances that these men are meeting in. Uh, so uh, the committee works through March 1st, the night of March 1st, and then they come together on March 2nd of 1836. And uh, the declaration uh, is written. Many people believe that George Childress wrote the declaration before he even stepped foot in Texas, that when he uh, had access to the state libraries in Tennessee before he left, he looked at the Declaration of Independence that uh, we wrote uh, mm-hmm. in, in the United States and then uh, looked at other examples of, uh, of legal history and then put together the declaration, had it already written in his saddlebag before he even stepped foot in Washington. Uh, so uh, he uh, stood up and read the report uh, to the men gathered, and uh, you'll see that it has a lot of very uh, similar words to uh, the American Declaration of Independence, and that's because Santa Ana was doing a lot of things that George III was doing. Uh, <laughs> so it makes things a lot easier that way. Uh, so it begins uh, the unanimous Declaration of Independence made by the delegates of the people of Texas in general convention at the town of Washington on the second day of March of 1836. And what is so important to that to people who are from Texas, to people who uh, uh, know anything about Texas history, is that this is the first time that Texas is its own thing. Mm -hmm. For hundreds of years, Texas had been a province in New Spain that the Spanish government didn't really care that much about. It had been a state of... uh, but a state combined with another state called Cojila y Tejas, but never its own thing. And when this document was read, it's the first time that Texas is recognized as its own entity. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's its own nation. Uh, the delegates get together and they say that we are now a separate nation, that we uh, assume uh, the same attitude as the independent nations of the world, uh, that... Uh, uh, and that they are no longer, of course, a part of 
Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time that Texas, that people say that this is the place, Washington is where Texas became Texas. That's because of what those men agreed to in that room on that day. Um, this uh, The convention continued to go on for the next several days. Uh, meanwhile, in San Antonio, uh, at the Alamo, William Barrett Travis has 180 men against 5,000. Mm-hmm. The se- the uh, next day, on March 3rd, he writes a letter, uh, and he uh, addresses it to the convention meeting in Washington. Uh, he says uh, to the president of the convention, March 3rd, 1836, in the present confusion of the political authorities of the country and in the absence of the commander in chief, I beg leave to communicate to you the situation of this garrison. Mm-hmm. So he is writing to them saying that I only have 180 men, that it has been nearly 10 days. There has been no relief. We have no more resources here. Uh, we are desperate for any word because it's complete political chaos. Nobody knows who to even report to. Sam Houston, who m- many people may be familiar with, uh, he was the commander-in-chief uh, of the army. But then uh, when there was no longer a, uh, a, a government to be a commander of, uh, he was stripped of that title and then had to go back to Washington to get that title back. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no, there, there's no chain of command anymore even. Uh, he uh, lays out this whole uh, uh, situation. He is hoping that uh, a person who we've talked about in the last season, um, uh, Colonel Fannin, uh, over at Goliad, would be able to relieve the Alamo. But that's he's now very doubtful that that's going to happen. Uh, and he uh, continues on his letter. He says, um, I look to the colonies alone for aid. Unless it arrives soon, I shall have to fight the enemy on his own terms. Mm -hmm. I will, however, do the best I can under the circumstances. And I feel confident that the the determined valor and desperate courage heretofore exhibited by my men will not fail them in the last struggle. Mm. And although they may be sacrificed to the vengeance of a Gothic enemy, the victory will cost the enemy so dear that it will be worse to him than a defeat. I hope your honorable body will hasten on reinforcements, ammunition, and provisions to our aid as soon as possible. A blood-red banner waves from the Church of Behar and in the camp above us, in token that the war is one of vengeance against rebels. They have declared us as such, demanded that we should surrender at discretion, or that this garrison should be put to the sword. Their threats have had no influence on me or my men, but to make all fight with desperation and that high-souled courage which characterizes the patriot who is willing to die in defense of his country's liberty and his own honor. For God in Texas, victory or death, William Barrett Travis. Mm. That letter makes its way to Washington, and it is read to the delegates on the morning of March 6, 1836. Mm-hmm. By the time those words were heard by the delegates mm-hmm. meeting in that hall, Travis and all 180 men had been killed. Mm-hmm. The final assault on the Alamo happening around 3 o'clock in the morning on March 6th of mm-hmm. 1836. Well, the delegates meeting in that hall were so uh, taken by Travis's words that they immediately sprung up and said, we need to do something. 
Uh, Sam Houston said, I'm leaving now to Gonzales so that I can get men together and we can go and relieve the Alamo. Well, by the mm-hmm. time Houston had made it to Gonzales, the news had hit that Travis and all those men were dead. That their mm-hmm. bodies had been burned on a funeral pyre so they could be denied a Christian burial. By March 17th, the word had come to Washington that Travis and the Alamo defenders were dead and that Santa Ana was making his way to them at Washington. On the Declaration of Independence, it says where they all are, at Washington, Texas. <laughs> yeah. So they all gather and say, we need to adjourn this convention. By that time, they had been able to put a constitution together, and they elected a provisional government. Uh, David G. Burnett was made uh, the president of this new Republic of Texas, and uh, Lorenzo de Zavala was made the vice president, and another, and then so on and so forth, a cabinet was formed, and uh, that they would slowly make their way, and they would meet again uh, uh, uh near present-day Houston uh, uh, later on in uh, March. Uh, And then they completely left. The runaway scrape had begun. People hearing of what Santa Ana had done in San Antonio, families, uh, they packed whatever they could and started running, fleeing for their very lives. Uh, There are stories of cabins where meals were still left on the table uh, as people heard the news of the Alamo, gathered whatever they could hold in their arms, and started running east towards Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Uh, the town of Washington, uh, there was a ferry to get across uh, the Brazos River. Uh, The line to get onto that ferry was three days long. Mm. Uh, The convention, in Washington at least, was over. Uh, they, uh, They would continue or try to meet and then Uh, We'll cover in more detail what happens next uh, in the Texas Revolution as we uh, pick up more uh, uh, people and battles and things to look at. Uh, Many of you uh, may have already listened to our episode on Colonel Fannin and Goliad. That Mm -hmm. happens 10 days after the uh, uh, convention adjourns on March 17th. Goliad would fall on the 27th. so I would encourage everyone to listen to those episodes if you'd like to know more. Uh, there's also lots of other resources. I would re- uh, encourage people to listen to Wise About Texas uh, and uh, uh, other uh, podcasts that go into more detail on the Texas Revolution. But uh, the long story short is that the Texans do win, uh, remarkably <laughs> so, uh, on April 21st of 1836. Uh, and Texas uh, becomes its own nation. Uh, it does not really want to be its own nation. They want to be part of the United States, but the United States doesn't really want Texas at that time. Uh, it's mm-hmm. filled with a whole bunch of pirates and bandits. Um, <laughs> and uh, it would call into question this issue of slavery. At, in 1836, there was a perfect balance of slave states and free states. Uh, and uh, anything to disrupt that balance would disrupt the very harmony uh, of politics in the United States. Uh, so uh, Texas is its own nation, uh, recognized uh, by uh, Mexico oh, sometimes, uh, recognized <laughs> uh, by France and England and Belgium and uh, the United States and many others. Um, and to really 
bring the message home of why this day is important at all. If you think about it, uh, the decision that was made in that room on March 2nd of 1836, at the very time uh, that we've been looking at right here on this chart, because of that, uh, Texas is, is its own nation. Ten years later, it joins the United States. Because Texas joins the United States, the United States goes to war with Mexico to protect the Texas border being at the Rio Grande River. Uh, because of America's victory in the Mexican-American War, the United States has all the land going from Texas to California. Mm -hmm. It makes us a continental power. The United States now has the natural resources and the land necessary uh, that you can see what happens in the generations to come. In World Wars One and Two. America is able to defend democracy uh, in Europe and across the world because of all of these natural resources that it has and because of the protection that it enjoys having two oceans uh, to protect it from. And all of that can be tied to the decision that was made by these 59 men mm -hmm. on March 2nd of 1836. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, mom and I are both very proud Texans. Uh, mom <laughs> being a, a sixth generation, I being a seventh generation Texan. Um, we had uh, some ancestors who were involved uh, in all this in, in, in their own smaller ways, not necessarily mm -hmm. in that room, but uh, doing their part. Um, it is hard for both of us to be objective about all of this, um, but uh, because we have such a, a great love for Texas mm -hmm. and are both as we said, very proud Texans and very proud every March 2nd uh, when <laughs> it is uh, Texas Independence Day. Uh, and I think that uh, this chart uh, is is just absolutely perfect. It, it shows exactly uh, what this nation uh, would be for the time that it was a nation and what it continues on to be as a spirit uh, of mm -hmm. the state of Texas. Um uh, I, I asked earlier about those, you know, mother and father and siblings. Uh, it's a lot easier to tell, you know, when you look at the United States uh, and its revolution that the mother country would have to be England. Um, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Barry, uh, he likes to say that uh, we know who the mother of Texas is. It's Virginia. Um, we're not so sure who the daddy is, but we think it might be Tennessee. <laughs> um, if you were to take the example one to one, then you would have to say that Mexico would be uh, Texas's mother. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not so sure if that bears out um, because so many of the people who were coming to Texas were from the United States uh, that it, it, maybe the United States could be the whole country could be seen as Texas's mother. It's very hard to say. But mm -hmm. uh, as to the terms of siblings, well, that would be all of the states of the United States. And uh, you said that uh, Texas would be uh, very friendly and very family-oriented mm -hmm. uh, in regards to the country and, uh, and to these fellow states. And I think that that bears out very well uh, as well. Uh, so... Um, what what are what what are your thoughts now that I've gone through uh, in more detail or some detail about what happened on that day? Well, I mean, as far as the chart is concerned, I think the chart is really impressive. You know, I think that understanding um, the position that these people were in all the way across, you know, the board uh, during the Texas Texas Revolution is. Um, it, it 
there's so much and there's so many layers because there are the layers that, you know, the, that we are pirates and that we, you know, we're slave owners and that we were horrible and, you know, we, we we're very bad. And then there's the other side where it's just like, okay, but wait, these are just families with farmland trying to survive in a place that they had been invited to come and they had paid their fee to come, blah, 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 you know? So, I mean, if you really want to get into all of the levels of it, you can go back and say, okay, well, what about the native people that were here? And, you know, keep going, just keep going all the way into all the revolutions and all of the situations where people have come and invaded and taken over since the beginning of time on earth, you know? But um, bringing it back home to the Texas Revolution and knowing that our ancestors were not, you know, big old plantation owners. Our ancestors were families, you know, and we had one ancestor that brought uh, provisions and ammunition to the Alamo. And then we had, um, well, we had several ancestors involved, but um, one of them that was riding with Houston and fought in the Siege of Bear and in uh, the Battle of San Jacinto, you know, the, these, the stories that we hear about the people and then um, the, their love, you know, they were fighting for their home, you know, if someone starts coming down your street, to take over your home, you have two choices. You fight or you flee. And these people chose to fight and they fought a fight that it was really pretty much impossible that they would be able to win. And in this moment, I would like to interject for our beautiful people in Ireland who are listening. And for those of you who are uh, Irish and those of you who are Scottish, um, Texas is very connected to uh, Irish people, definitely. Many Irish people passed away in the Battle of the Alamo, and the Irish were there to help uh, fight the Spanish with the um, Mexican people for independence. And um, I think that any country or situation that is faced with this kind of um, dictatorship. And we also need to uh, make mention that, um, you know, this was uh, um, interesting because the dictator, Santa Anna, was a great fan of who, Chandler? Napoleon. Napoleon. So thinking along that line, it, it's very interesting to understand that, that, okay, we don't want a dictatorship. We don't, we didn't come here for any of this. And now we have to fight for our very lives and our property and our lifestyle and our whatever, you know? So it's just, it's just a beautifully dramatic uh, story of just people, not armies. Because we, we didn't have that. We just had a bunch of people here fighting for their right, you know. And I think that's why people from all over the world come to see the Alamo. I would also suggest that if you are planning to come to Texas to go to 
the historic side of Washington on the browsers and let them, you know, sort of walk you through the areas and the reenactments of the things that happened there. But I think the reason that people love the story of Texas is because not because it was armies of people, but because it was just people fighting for their land and their, you know, opportunity to live their life the way they wanted to. And, uh, you know, talking about um, the issue uh, of slavery as well, although these men didn't know it and would not have wanted it, um, it is a direct, uh, 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 there's a direct correlation between what these men did at uh, Washington on March 2nd, and the ending of slavery in the United States, because uh, when they declared independence, made an independent country that was then brought into the United States, and then the United States was made uh, uh, through the Mexican-American War uh, a continental power, the issue of would slavery go into the West is one of the primary ones why the Civil War started. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that Civil War, um, uh, slavery ended in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that can still be tied to this, even though that is a consequence that these men would not have wanted. And several of them uh, were uh, holders of slaves at that time. Um, it all gets uh, tied back uh, to the consequences that you could, I would say the stars were more in charge of. When you say, you know, that it's a fight for the people and a communicating mm-hmm. of for the people, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes uh, those people aren't even completely aware of the mm-hmm. powers that are guiding their hand at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a result of what these men, even though it was unintended by these men, uh, that um, slavery would end in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um and I would also, uh, when you reach out specifically to our our, our fans who are in uh, Ireland, mm-hmm. um, the the Irish have a specific uh, and I would say typical story for what I know of Irish history uh, in regards to their role in uh, the Texas Revolution. Uh, the Mexicans uh, reached out to the Irish specifically to have a colony. Uh, we have a county mm-hmm. called San Patricio <laughs> County, uh, which is St. Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because uh, the Irish came there under James Power and had a little colony there, um, they were Catholic. Uh, so uh, the people who were in the the main line of Texans did not trust the Irish who were in San Patricio County, uh, but they were also English speaking, and uh, uh, so the Mexican army did not trust the people in San Patricio County. So mm-hmm. the Irish who were in San Patricio County had to fight both the Mexican army and the Texas army. Of course. Uh, so, uh, but. Eventually, um, uh, things got patched up between them uh, and the rest of the Texas forces because, as we said earlier, most of them were descended from Irish anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but for uh, a few uh, weeks and months there during the Revolution, uh, the Irish in San Patricio County were fighting a war on two fronts. Uh, well, I think uh, that uh, on our scale of ride on the money to uh, way out in outer space, uh, this... Uh, 
uh, setting of the uh, constellation on our Lone Star State uh, really uh, bears through. I think we're right on the money with all of this. This uh, makes a lot of sense for uh, Texas uh, in that moment, uh, Texas as a nation and Texas as a uh, state uh, going on uh, forward. Uh, this all makes a lot of sense to me. Well, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm looking at it and it, it really does. It, it rings true for me and everything that I've ever been taught and and brought up with and you have been taught and brought up with in our Texas history and, and all of the information that we have from all of the avenues, you know, not not just this one story, but all the stories and how everything fits together. But, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, that uh, wraps up this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, support the show, we have uh, the links to our uh, social media pages uh, in the uh, show description. We also have a link there to our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to be your own mystery history guest, we can make that happen. Uh, there is a link there uh, to uh, the email account Chandler's Mom at historyandretrograde.com. Uh, you can uh, get with her and she can go over with you the details on how she can uh, read uh, your chart, uh, the chart of maybe you and that special someone in your life, and of course, uh, maybe that uh, little uh, doggy friend. Too. <laughs> this is all very true. And uh, you can find everything you're looking for at historyandretrograde.com. Uh, everything that is about the show can be found and connected through there if that's easier for you. And I wanted to thank all of the people that have taken time to contact me and that I have had the honor of uh, doing your charts. All the people at the fairs, all the people that um, I do uh, Zoom readings. It's very lovely and I love getting to know you all and I think about you often. And uh, yeah, just um, go to the website, historyinretrograde.com, and uh, contact us. Let us know what you think about the show. Let us know if you have any ideas for any future um, celebrities or historic people that you would like uh, Chandler to do the history on. And um, yeah, happy Texas Independence Day. Thank you for being there. Yes. Uh, happy Texas Independence Day. Uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your stars uh, are aligned and your houses are in order, then everything's going to be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>